If you are new here, we want to welcome you. We say it every week, we desire to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thank you for joining us. You're joining on a, a really important weekend in Christian history as we celebrate yet again the coming of the Messiah and the processional and the announcement of the servant King Jesus in Jerusalem. If you're not familiar with Holy Week, this is when we remember that Jesus the Messiah entered into Jerusalem, leading to the week of going to the cross. The Last Supper will happen on Thursday. He will go to the cross on Friday. He'll be in the grave on Saturday, and he will resurrect on Sunday. Amen? Yeah, and we're going to have a lot to celebrate. It's a fun week, a lot of things planned. I'm going to share some of that later in the sermon with you. But can we thank the band for doing a phenomenal job leading us in worship this morning? It was really ministering to me uh, this morning. Eric was, dude, I don't know, like God was speaking through Eric to me. He, that doesn't always happen to me, but it did uh, this morning. And just talking about that covenant relationship we have with God, something God has been impressing on me, that it, it changes our prayers. It brings peace where there's worry and anxiety in our world. And certainly in this last week with another shooting and with the, the tornado that went through Whiteland and the things going on yet again in our culture, we need the peace of God. Amen? Amen. And that's really what this morning is about. And I'm going to be uh, discussing in detail the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But if you were power on your Bible or turn on the one the book rack to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11. Uh, talking about covenant relationship, the Bible uses the analogy of the, the bride and the bridegroom, uh, husband and wife, of the intimate relationship that we could have with, with God. And I just want to add, do we, do we have anybody in the room that is currently married uh, longer than 10 years? Let's do longer than 10 years. Wow, man, a lot. Okay, let's do 20 years. Anybody longer than 20? 30? We'll go for a while here, aren't we? Uh, 40. Let's do 40. Uh, 50, Clint, we, are we, is that it? Uh, Clint and Gail, are you guys the only, yes, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> we had one at the last as well, so you, uh, I shared that. You should be up here sharing this morning. Uh, you know, I've been married a number of years now, uh, but I'm still learning, and I, I'll tell you, you know, I don't know if you're like this in, in your relationships, that it takes time to get to know one another, and especially as guys, there's something, I can't speak for you, but as a young married man, I was very immature that didn't really understand how relationships work. Uh, let me give you an example. Like, uh, we, I would be sitting on the couch watching television, and my amazing wife, Lisa, who's always looking to, to serve and to help and do whatever she can for me, she would ask me a question. And the question would go like this. Could, could you stop what you're doing and, and get up, if you'd be so kind, to get me a glass of water, please? Now, let me tell you, some of you new to relationships, you think that's actually a question. <laughs> I didn't know that. Nobody trained me and prepared me for relationships, and I thought for, you know, there would be times I would say, yes, absolutely, honey. And other times I'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired. You're actually closer. You ever done that one? Man, you, you, you rookie mistakes, man. 
I, I'll tell you, in a, a real relationship where you're learning one another and how they communicate, you have to begin to understand things. And I think sometimes we misunderstand what God is trying to communicate to us. Have you ever been disappointed by God before? Been overwhelmed in your life, feeling anxiety and worry instead of the peace of God? Wondering if the promises that he tells you for your life, that he has a plan and a purpose and he desires to care for you in your times of need, that actually maybe he really doesn't? You ever been so disappointed with God, it's hard for you to even read your Bible or to worship? Some of you in here who may not be Christian yet, some of your struggles are you've seen disappointing things connected to God before. What I want to tell you this morning that when Jesus came to Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, he was demonstrating not only that we could trust him, that he was fulfilling his promises, that he cares for us, and he has the humility that no other uh, relationship will ever demonstrate to us. And that's what I want to show you together. Are you ready to study God's word? Here it goes. Uh, verse 1, Mark 11 says, As they approached Jerusalem, he came to Bethage and Bethany which is just outside Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. So Jesus has been traveling around the, the ancient Near East for three years now, preaching the good news of the coming kingdom of God. You need to repent, turn to him, because the kingdom of God is at hand. You could actually know God. You could have a relationship with God. He could reign in your life. And then it's all going to come to a conclusion this week. And everything they have been waiting on, this Messiah, which Messiah just means anointed one, is about to happen, only the kingdom that he's coming to provide is not the kingdom they all desired. And they're going to end up being somewhat disappointed with the results. See, he sends the two disciples in, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a, a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, steal it, and bring it back to me. Right? It doesn't say steal it, but that's what he's doing. And it goes on and says, if anyone asks you why you're doing this, say, the Lord needs it, this is my favorite part, and we'll send it back shortly. Which, if you've ever watched when cars are stolen in movies, they never return the car, do they? And it's like Jesus tells these two disciples, hey, I want you to go in town, I want you to find uh, the brand new Honda Civic that's going to be sitting there, and then I want you to steal it. And then when you steal it, and they ask you why they're taking your car, you just tell them, the Lord told you to. You know, sometimes I think that we misunderstand God because he asks us simple things, but there's a lot of complexity underneath. If you're one of the disciples, could you imagine getting this message to go into town and somebody steal somebody's transportation, their workhorse that provided for them? You know, the, the, the colt is essentially a baby donkey is what it's referring to. And so you're going into town, you're stealing this one that's never been ridden, you're bringing it back, and I'm not even going to tell you why. You know, I've been so excited all morning long to preach on this day because uh, I haven't preached on Palm Sunday in years. I don't even know how long it's been. I'm always preaching on Easter, and I am co-teaching with Pastor Nate this Easter, and I'll talk in a moment about, man, to get online and RSVP right away, but uh, I got to preach Palm Sunday this morning, and the reason I'm so passionate about it, the calling that God gave me uh, to plant Mercy Road Church started when I was at this conference outside of Atlanta, Georgia, 
and a pastor at a leadership conference got up and spoke on the Palm Sunday passage. And I was like, this is weird. Why is he preaching on that? And he talked about the reason he got into ministry was because the Lord told him to. And he didn't understand why, and he didn't get all the details. He just told him to, and so he did it. And I want to tell you, I got into ministry for the same reason. Uh, When I first became a Christian, I felt like God said, just start a Bible study at the fraternity house. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was terrible at leading a Bible study, but I felt like the Lord told me to, so I just did it. And then I was like, after I graduated college, I think he wants me to learn more. And so I went to seminary in Southern California, and I became a pastor. And you say, well, that's great for a vocational pastor that that's your job. But I believe that the scriptures teach, and we believe here at Mercy Road, in the priesthood of all believers, that everybody, if you have received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, could draw near to a perfect God, receive the spirit of God, and be used to make an impact, to live on mission with your life. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, that everybody here could be used just as much by God as anybody who will be on the stage this morning. And so... When Jesus asked them, go into town and take this, I don't think they understand it, but he's not actually asking, is he? He's saying, if you trust me, you're going to do this. I want to ask you the question this morning, are you willing to do what God tells you? Whether it makes sense to you or not, I don't know what he's been telling you, but what I see is a lot of times we refuse to take that next step out of fear because we don't really trust that he's going to come through the way that he says he's going to. I believe this passage, the way that he presented himself, was deliberate so that we could know today how much we could trust him. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we come to you just as uh, busy, hurried people who set aside this time and this moment to encounter you. And so I pray, God, that you would take away my words, replace it with what you have to say through Scripture that might pierce our souls this morning. We we live in a hurting time, God. There was another shooting this week. We had a tornado go through Whiteland, God. There's so much uh, pain in our world, sometimes we can get overwhelmed. And if we're honest, we could even be disappointed in you. And yet, God, you have always come through with every promise you have ever said. So we lean on you this morning. We encourage our souls. Help us to become the people you desire us to be, the priesthood of all believers being used by you this morning, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand who you truly are and why we can trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. You know, I've thought a lot about this and What I find kind of ironic about this passage is that Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem, which he had been waiting on for for ever since the beginning of time. As Christians, we believe there wasn't a time that Jesus was not. He was there in the beginning. The Spirit hovered over the water. Jesus was there in the very beginning. The The representation of the Trinity is all the way back in the book of Genesis that there was not a time he was not. The early church father, Origen, called him the eternally begotten son. You ever heard that phrase? Some of you grew up Catholic. You recited it in creeds. You'd have no idea what you were talking about, but you were reciting this ancient truth that early Christians agreed on. There, he was the eternally begotten son. There was not a time he was not. So he's waited all this time for this moment to present himself 
as the Messiah, the anointed one, as the king of the universe, which he is with his power and with his authority. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've thought a lot about this if I was going to present myself. And this is a true story. And I, I had to apply it to this passage because when I was a young man, like 17, 18 years old, I don't know why I had a conversation with friends and it stuck with me for years that if I was going to walk into a room and every time I had to walk into a room, there was a theme song that came on. I don't know what your theme song would be, how you would present yourself in a room, but I, I had my own theme song. Anybody, because uh, I'm growing up as a kid, anybody remember the show Sanford and Son? Dude, that, that theme song's boss, isn't it? Like, if I was going to enter a room, uh, every time I would enter a room, it would be like this. Matt, you think you can find a song? Like, real quick. Okay, here we go. Looking at you, you'd be strutting today, be looking, oh man, he's powerful, he's in charge, dude, every time, thanks, give it up for Matt back there. <laughs> I seriously, that is the theme song, 20 some years I've been saying, every time I wish that, could we make that happen every time I walk up on stage and preach? Man, some of you would be annoyed, wouldn't you? Like, <laughs> think Jesus has been waiting thousands of years. He, he, he chose this moment in time. Like anything, could, he could have presented himself in any way that he chose. I don't know about you, but like I would make a scene. And Jesus chooses to do something very odd. He, he decides to come in Jerusalem by taking this baby donkey. You, you've seen a donkey? It, like It's not the size of, of a horse. You agree? If you ride a stallion at a time, that was a representation of leadership within a war. The donkey had more representation of, of a time of peace. He's not riding in high and mighty. He's riding in lowly. And then he's taking the colt, which is like the baby. Think It would be almost humorous, right? Riding on this little thing, trying to stay on it. And that's how Jesus chose to present himself. The triumphal entry of Jesus, of the coming Messiah they had been waiting on, was going to go to war. Get these Romans out of here. The oppression is going to end. We got things we want you to do, God. It's time to do what we want you to do. But as God does sometimes, he came to do something different than they had thought. And the kingdom he came to establish was not for just a generation, but was an eternal kingdom. And his triumphal entry was not just a military possession of a land in one little small part of the earth. It was possession of eternity for those of us who would surrender our lives to him as Lord, as king, that we could enter it. So I want to talk about the, the Jesus that we actually serve. He's not the, the, the arrogant Jesus that wants everybody to look at him and how powerful and strong he is. That's how Satan actually tempts him in the wilderness. Jesus presents himself, number one, as the humble servant. Think about this. He's the God of the universe. All have power and might. He could do anything that he desired. And again, that's what Satan tempted him to do in the wilderness, but this is how he did it. Verse three, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. He's talking about when they took the donkey, the, the colt. They went and found a colt inside the street and they do what he's asking here. 
tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that colt. And then the disciples fled and ran away, which is what I would have done because I'm not going down for this, Jesus. And look what happens. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. They trusted him so much that he cared about them, that he served them first, that he would lay down his life as a ransom for many, that he chose, they chose in that moment to just do what he had told them to do. I think one of the greatest discipleship lessons we can take is from that passage right there, that when God is telling you and asking you to do something, to actually respond in obedience and do it. Sounds simple, right? Why is it so hard? Let me give you an, an easy example. We'll get to some harder examples. An easy example. So it's Holy Week. This is the time when Christians remember the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection, that anybody can be forgiven for our sin if we turn to God and we repent of it, that his, his crucifixion on the cross atoned or covered up for our sin and wrongdoing, that he, he took what we deserve, but then he didn't just die. He rose on the third day, overcoming death. He's, he's the Christus victor. He had victory over death itself, that anybody that surrenders their life to Jesus as Lord can live with him eternally in his eternal kingdom to be with him in heaven. And one day he will return. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will live forever with God in paradise. Like it's good news, right? We all know that if, if you're a Christian, hopefully you believe that because that's what we all are doing here. And this is the one week, the number one week in the entire year. If you invite a family member or friend at your school, at your workplace, in your neighborhood to come and join you and hear this good news, that's the number one week that, that people will actually do it. They will show up and respond. Now, we've got a culture here of inviting people, praying for our oikos, the 8 to 15 in our sphere of influence, and reaching out to them. We have that culture. But the reality is, in the American church today, very few people will do any type of evangelistic uh, presentation or sharing their life with one another. And it just begins with inviting them to church, right? Like, that's not the end goal. You have to actually build relationships with people. Very few American Christians will ever do such a basic task. Why? We know God tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the great commission, right? Like we all know that as Christians, but very few people will do it because we're like, well, what if it's weird? <laughs> what if God doesn't show up? What if it gets awkward? I'm really busy. And we've got those list of idols we talked about for four weeks. I'm really busy and I got these other things going on. I got, and we never get around to doing such a basic function. So I would argue one of the first steps in learning how to be a disciple from the disciples in this passage is that Jesus told them to go and steal a donkey, and they didn't ask questions. They just went and did what he said. Let's get a little harder now, because it's not just, okay, inviting people to church. I, I do want to mention that. They're, they've got a QR code that's on the screen. If you haven't RSVP'd yet to do that and to save space for your family and friends, I will tell you if you plan on attending this, the 1015 service on Easter Sunday morning, we will probably run out of RSVPs by tomorrow. So be sure and RSVP for your family and friends. Uh, you don't need a ticket or anything to get in. It's just a way we plan so that we can make sure everybody has a seat and we've got plenty of coffee and all that kind of stuff. But thanks for helping us out in doing that. Um, but I want to tell you, Easter Saturday, it's the same service as Sunday, and that's the only one where Ben Glenn will be doing chalk art for the kids that, 
that evening. It's going to be amazing, so I encourage you to attend that. And then Good Friday is an entirely separate sermon. It's not the same service at all. It's a special Good Friday service. Pastor Invita and I will be teaching uh, that night. So invite people, invest, see that we can serve other people the way the humble servant served us. But let's get a little harder. Uh, Inviting somebody to church may be a, a simple conversation, But there are other things that we could learn from the disciples, which they're about to be really disappointed. (laughs) It's hard to trust God to begin with, but it's even harder to trust God when you're mad at him and disappointed with him. Maybe some of you are there this morning that you've been hurt and the peace you once had in your life with God, you no longer have. You find it difficult to pray, to read scripture. You wonder where in this chaotic world with pain and suffering God is. I've been there. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we close out together. But I I want to share with you right now that he wants to be there with you in your pain and your suffering. But he desires for his voice to be the greatest voice in your life. Not what your boyfriend or girlfriend are saying in your life. Not what the people on social media are saying in your life. Not what people are saying about your past and how you'll never be someone who follows God because you got too much baggage and you've tried it before. Not because you've been disappointed and angry and wondering where you are, God, and having doubts and fears. I want to tell you this morning, if you actually turn to him, listen to him, and are obedient to what he asks, he's going to give you the type of impact in your life that you've been desiring. But it's going to come through being a humble servant, not by serving yourself because that was the demonstration he gave for us of how to live. And when he presented himself, it was as a humble servant. But that servant was also a king. Number two, if you're taking notes, he is the servant king. He's like the king of all servants, right? He's the king of the universe with the power and the authority of almighty God, and yet he chooses to serve and to, to humble himself. Look what it says in verse seven of Mark 11. When they brought the colt, again, the baby donkey, to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And I, I want to see what that looked like. You know, they don't really give a description in detail of the size of the donkey. Like, this is going to take you back a little bit. Anybody remember the Swiss family Robinson? Yeah. You Like, old, all the old people in the room, you guys remember that? Okay. And you're not the new one. That one was terrible. Like, the old one. Uh, and the, the, the one son, they have that race of the animals, and he rides an ostrich around. You remember that? Like, I, I picture Jesus, like, and he keeps, like, almost falling off the ostrich. Like, I, I picture Jesus, like, on that baby donkey, and, like, it had to almost be humorous that the king of the universe was riding his little donkey into town. And, and by the way, we knew hundreds of years before that that is what the Messiah would do. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter. Zion, shout, daughter, Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hundreds of years before, God had Zechariah prophesy that so that you would know when you saw him riding that little donkey into town and you're like, whoa, why is he wearing that? Why did he have the disciples steal that? It was all part of this process of demonstrating his humility to the world. That he came as king. This is his anointing ceremony, essentially, as he goes into town. And the kingly procession where they're waving palm branches, which is an act of worship, that they're worshiping him as the humble servant king that he is. In fact, 
if you look at, at the, what uh, Donald Hagner says, a New Testament scholar, uh, a world-renowned New Testament scholar in the Gospel of Matthew, he writes, the irony was that the king who really was promised Messiah came to Jerusalem not as a warrior upon a stallion, but humbly as a servant, indeed as a servant who had come to die. Now, if you were expecting this angry king who was going to ride into town on a stallion and go to war and get those Romans out of here, you'd have been pretty disappointed, wouldn't you? Imagine what the disciples would have felt like seeing Jesus ride into town that way. By the way, in verse 12, we're not going to read it, but when he gets into town, do you know what he does? Does he, does he march straight into the magistrate and say, I'm here to take over? No, he like goes into the temple courts, he kind of looks around, and then he leaves. <laughs> that was the whole thing. The whole point of him going into town was the procession itself, that he could demonstrate to us his character and, and who he is. Have parents in the room, you ever been around a kid who was disappointed before? Yeah. <laughs> Having three of them, by the way, it's my youngest son, Jet. It's his eighth birthday today. Yeah. And, and what I didn't share this at the first service. What's been fun about Jet is he's starting to like grow up and stuff. And, you know, the way he would interact when he was three or four or five is very different than today. And, but parents, you know, like you can always tell when a kid is upset. And when they get upset, they don't know how to process the emotions when they're real little kids, right? Like they have no idea. And so have you, I mean, seriously, parents, have you ever had a kid come to you and say, Father, I am very upset. I am upset because of these specific reasons and I wish that you would act very differently. No, they have no idea, right? They're just sad. They don't know why, and they just have a total meltdown and tantrum. There's usually crying and snot involved and all kinds of things. We know that as parents, but with our Heavenly Father, when we're disappointed in life as adults, you know, we don't maybe melt down in that same way, but we have our own little temper tantrums, don't we? We turn and we get angry at God, and so we start doing things we know that are not good and healthy to our relationship with God. You've done it. You get mad. You go commit some sins that you know are separating you from God because you're angry and you're wondering where God is and you got this pain and God, why didn't you show up for me the way that I want? I'm not judging anybody in the room, but it's the reality of human nature that when we get disappointed, we often don't know how to process those emotions. And so we take it out on our friends, our family, our spouse. We don't trust anybody. And eventually we even take it out on God because we're disappointed and frustrated. And if you haven't had that happen yet in your relationship with God, it's probably because you haven't lived long enough yet. And it's in those moments where spiritually the rubber meets the road for every disciple. Imagine what it was like for the early disciples to see him ride the baby donkey into town and then leave and not do what they want. By Thursday, Judas is selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. By Friday, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. All of the disciples are going to leave him. The only one who's going to be at the cross of the crucifixion is John. Everybody else has fled. Because the Messiah they wanted wasn't the Messiah they got. They didn't want the servant king. They wanted the angry, powerful king. And when you're disappointed in God, I wonder if sometimes we have to stop and pause for a second and remind ourselves there is a reason he is God and we are not. And to process our disappointment in a healthy way, we have to turn to him and to others for wise Christian counsel. Say, Lord, help me 
Because he's not just the servant king, he's also the promised Messiah. The, the final point I want to make is real simple. He's the anointed one of God, the Messiah. That's what that word means. That had been promised for generations upon generations upon generations. And they thought he was going to be one thing, and he came to be something else. But if you actually receive what he is and not what you want him to be, it's going to turn out better for you in the long run. Let me show you. Here's what it says at the end of Mark 11 in this passage, verse 9 and 10. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Now, do you know what that word means? It, it, it literally means save us. They're, they're all shouting, save us. We've been waiting. Save us. And they're thinking about the Romans, right? And, and some of you in your life right now, you've got these people and they're causing you problems and you know you, they voted differently in the election. That's how you know they're the, the bad ones. And, and you're like, save us, God. These people are causing all the problems. And in the moment, what did Jesus, this Messiah, what did the promised Messiah, did he come to save them just from Roman oppression? No, there is a greater enemy. And there is a greater enemy in your life. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has a plan for your life, just like God has a plan. So the humble servant king isn't just a king. He's also the promised Messiah that isn't going to set up just a kingdom for one lifetime. He's going to set up eternal kingdom, forever freedom from the rule and reign of Satan in your life. And some of you feel like you can't have any hope because you're always going to be this type of person who struggles, who's got the addiction stuff, who's got the problems in relationships, who you're just a disappointment, and so you're disappointed with others, and they're disappointed with you, and you're mad at God, and this is just how life is. And I want to tell you the Palm Sunday messages, that's not true. He is the king of the universe who humbled himself on the baby donkey coming into town, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy to let you know that his love endures forever for you. You don't believe me? Do you know what they're all shouting? They say, save us, save us. And then they quote this verse from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Other translation says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna, save us in the highest heaven. They're shouting this out because they believe the Messiah is to come. Do you realize that Psalm 118 is a messianic prophecy that the psalmist wrote down describing what actually would happen to Jesus in this particular moment? In the passage, it goes on to say how God is always with you. He's always there for you. Psalm 118, it's a long uh, chapter in scripture. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But he's always there with you. He's always providing for you, even when your enemies surround you. And it almost gives you a description of the cross when his enemies are surrounded around him. And then we get to verse 22 of Psalm 118. This is written hundreds of years before this procession or the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. And it starts with this in verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone which was the very thing Jesus said to the Pharisees to describe himself. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, Hosanna, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Talking about the Messiah, from the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he had made his light shine on us with bows in hand, joining the festal procession 
up to the horns of the altar. He went right into the temple courtyard in that procession. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His love endures forever. Whatever anger you feel, whatever disappointment, anxiety, worry, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like you're not good enough, that you're the disappointment and you can never be the person that the people want you to be, you don't have to be. You just have to be the person God wants you to be. And he sees you and he loves you and he pursues you. And the question I want to ask is, when God doesn't meet your expectations, do you still believe he's God? That he knows better. And I don't say that lightly. I told you I've been disappointed in my life. You know, there have been times as an adult where I felt like, God, if, if the truth just came out about this person or this situation and the people would see the truth and it would, they would look differently on things and, and me and God, why do you let these things occur? And I get angry and frustrated and disappointed with God. You've been there? Or the ultimate one for me that most of you are familiar with. I've never been more angry and disappointed than the night that my son died. God had done a miracle. He, he held him all the way to birth and he, he lived two weeks and we thought we might get to take him home. And then he, he passed away there due to a genetic disorder after praying for six months for healing. And really believing God was going to heal. And I remember just being, God, Why? Why did you let this happen? Why go through all this stuff? Why move and plant a church? I did what you said in that Palm Sunday passage to go and, and do what you're calling me to do. And that's why I got into ministry in the first place. And in that moment, he said, move to Indiana, start a church. And three friends of mine from high school were going to help us. And it was like, okay, God, I'm there. And then we get here and find out about the genetic disorder. And then my wife has to go through losing a son. Are you kidding me? When you get to that level of anger and disappointment, what I want to tell you is it's in that moment you have to remember the humility of the king that we serve. That he humbled himself in the way that a covenant relationship works with. There are going to be moments of humility for us to say, I don't understand your ways, God. I am a fallen human being that is imperfect. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are like you, Jesus. None of us can comprehend what you're doing in this world today. But I'm going to trust that you are the humble servant that you demonstrated to us on that first Palm Sunday and that your love endures forever. Amen? Amen. So if you're here today and you've kind of given up on God and you thought you had to live out your grandparents or your parents' faith, or you thought that your, your son or your daughter brought you here and you could never have the life change that they had because you're too along in years now and people don't change at your age, I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell, that Satan wants to keep oppressing you and telling you that you have no hope and this is how the world will always be. But the good news of Jesus Christ, because he didn't come to have power and prestige and to reign as king as a generation and to lord over people like he was tempted to do, but instead he came as a humble servant that laid down his life as a ransom for many. Anybody who is in here today who is far from God could draw near to him because he is perfect and he gave his life for you because he loves you. Amen. So as we begin Holy Week, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond in humility the way that he lived in humility for you. Will you pray with me, God? We come to you, many of us, 
who have been committed Christians trying to serve you. And even at times in our own lives, we, we lack peace. The, the, the donkey, the, the fold represented the peace times, God, not the, the war times. And you came to be a peaceful, humble king. Bring that peace into our lives. If you're here this morning and you've been wondering where God is in your life and you've committed your life to Jesus and you've been following him, but you're just like, God, where are you? I need you. Pray this with me. God, this morning, in humility, I repent of anything that's keeping me from you and I invite you fully into my life in a way that I haven't experienced in a while. Give me fresh eyes to see. Fill me with your spirit anew. Anoint me to spread the gospel, the good news of you, Jesus, to those in my sphere of influence. And then for those in the room who've maybe been around Christianity a lot, but you've just been disappointed and you've been disappointed others and you feel like you have no hope, I want to tell you you do. I invite you to pray this prayer to begin that covenant relationship with the Almighty God this morning. God, I confess that I need you. I repent of doing life without you. I receive your mercy and forgiveness. It's not fake, God. It's real. It's here with me right now. And I surrender to it. I give up. I stop fighting back. I give you all my disappointment, my doubt, my fear, and my anxiety, and my worry. And I surrender at the foot of the cross. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said.